Good morning. Welcome to Boiling Springs Baptist Church. We are glad that you are here with us for worship today. Let us worship the eternal God, the source of love and life, who creates us. Let us worship Jesus Christ, the risen one, who lives among us. Let us worship the Spirit, the holy fire, who renews us. To the one true God be praise in all times and places through the grace of Jesus Christ. We're glad that you're here with us today. Our opening hymn is number 481, Go to the World, 481. If you are able, please stand and join in singing, 481. invite the children to come forward for lesson on the steps. Morning Jude. How are you? Not too sure? Hey Gavin and James. Hey, how are you? I want to read a scripture to you this morning from John chapter 8 verse 12. It says, 
I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, and they will have that light. They will have new life. How many of you know what this is? Glow sticks. A glow stick. What does it do, James? It glows in the dark. Well, you know what? I broke one and it actually does glow in the dark. This Wednesday, we're having a fall festival. And the name of the festival is Shine Your Light for Jesus. Does Jesus like us when we're dull like this? He does? I bet he'd rather have us like this, shining. When we have Jesus deep inside of our heart and when we love other people and we share what we have, we don't look dull like this one. We look bright like this one. And that's the way we need to be every day. We need to shine our light. We need to let people know that deep down in our heart, we love Jesus. We do, don't we? Because what does he do every day? He takes care of us. He helps us, that's right. He protects us. Can you think of anything else Jesus does for us every day? What does he do, Jude? Does he take care of you? He does, doesn't he? Does he take care of Pop and Mama too? Yes, he does. He takes care of everybody. He takes care of everybody in our church and everybody in our community. So we don't we want to be which light? We want to be the shining light, don't we? Mm-hmm. So tomorrow and wherever you go, and especially come Wednesday night, bring a friend because we're going to turn our lights on and we're going to show our love for Jesus and for each other. Okay? okay. All right, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for these children. Thank you most of all, Lord, that they are our shining light, that they are learning to walk in your footsteps. They are learning what you do for them and how much you love them. They are not only our children, Lord, but yours too. And we thank you so much for their shining light. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Once again, we'd like to welcome you to Boiling Springs. And if you are here for the first time, I would be delighted to to talk with you uh, briefly after the service. I'll be in the vestibule and would love that opportunity. Uh, As far as just one quick announcement, um, I thought about doing this at the end, but I'll go ahead and do it now. Uh, We have a, a list here given to me by Tommy Green of 10 different men currently, uh, and we need more men, but we would also, in, uh, uh, women or children who would be interested in being part of a ramp ministry, uh, not to jump ramps, but to uh, help build wheelchair ramps. And if that would be of interest to you, uh, see me after the service or Tommy Green, and we could both uh, direct you to this list here where we would love to get your name and number and information. But uh, currently, what is it, Tommy, 200, uh, uh, what's that? 
100 a year are needed and, and have been over the last few years built in Cleveland County for people that need that. And so uh, they would love to have a team through the Shelby Mission Camp that is more active in this local area right here. And what better team to be that, uh, to respond to that need than a team here through Bowling Springs Baptist. And so uh, if that is of interest to you, then uh, we'll have this down front and you put your name on it and um, we'd love to, to get you to work. As far as prayer concerns this morning, let's be in prayer. I found out um, late yesterday evening that Eugene Washburn, this is Eugene and Betty Washburn, um, Harry and Libby uh, Washburn's uh, father, is at a short stay at hospice due to some uh, health complications. He is doing better this morning, I heard through a text message from Libby. And um, uh, let's be in prayer for, uh, for Eugene. Let's continue to be in prayer for Betty Bridges, for Harry McKee and Jerry Green, who continue to receive treatments and um, need our thoughts and prayers at this time. I'm glad you're here today. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. God, we love you, and we thank you for your presence here with us this morning. You tell us where two or three are gathered. You are here in our midst. And Lord, um, as we come together this morning, Lord, we lay aside those things that may be distracting us and hindering us from worshiping you today. Uh, but Lord, help us to not only ignore all of those things, but Lord, help us to lay those things at your altar. And instead of separating or compartmentalizing our lives, Father, help us to give those things that are worrisome or anxious for us. Lord, help us to give them to you this morning. And Father, you tell us and promise us in your word that when we do cast our anxieties, cast our anxious thoughts on you, that Lord, you will bless us with a peace that surpasses all understanding. And Father, I pray today that you would meet each one at the point of their need. We all come here today with... um, great needs, whether it's family related or occupation or career or uh, just with a burden for our world today, God, Lord, we do pray that you would meet each one here at the point of their need. Father, we pray that when we leave here, Lord, we'll all say it's good to have been in your house and that, Lord, that um, between now and that moment, Lord, that you would stir us, that you would stir us in new and fresh ways, that you would convict us of sin in our lives, that you would challenge us in ways that we need to be challenged that you would encourage those this morning that need some encouragement. And Father, most of all, Lord, we pray that we would all leave with the hope uh, that we personally possess that's found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you that uh, your message and your um, call to us is is good news. Lord, you've you've led us from whence we have come, but Lord, your plans and desire for us, uh, Lord, is to do great things for you. And so, Father, stir our hearts, lead us all into closer fellowship with you. We pray for these who are sick and hurting this morning, those in special need of your care, that you would bring healing and comfort for those who are homebound this morning and maybe experiencing loneliness as well. Lord, we do pray that you would encourage them. Father, move among us today. May our minds be attentive and our hearts be sensitive to what you would have to speak to us today. It's in Jesus' name we ask this prayer. All of God's people said, amen. Our hymn is number 479 of Zion Haste, 479. If you are able, please stand and join in singing.
pray with me, please? Father, thank you for this beautiful day you've given us. Thank you for this beautiful house. We come to worship you. You have been so good to us, more than we deserve. And as we come to give just a small part back to you, remember not only for us to give our money, but our time and our talents. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, choir. For the last several weeks, we have heard from individuals 
who have answered the question, who are the people who have influenced you in your faith story, in coming to faith in Jesus Christ? We framed this in a series we've called Circles of Influence. And in this sermon series, you have heard testimonies, good testimonies and people, it's not always easy to get up and speak in front of others. And so Elizabeth, I've been praying for you this morning, Um, but you've been hearing testimonies and sermons. And the first Sunday you heard from Dr. Cullinan and the story of a coworker and friend who had such joy about her. Dr. Cullinan was at a place in life and she reached out and, and a wonderful relationship began and Dr. Cullinan uh, entered into that uh, personal relationship with the Lord. That morning we looked at a, a text of John 1 about Philip and Nathaniel. On October the 14th, Miles talked about the influence of family. And that morning we looked at um, Andrew going to seek out his brother Jonathan, um, or excuse me, Andrew, his brother Peter, and uh, Alan preached that morning also uh, on the Great Commission, Matthew 28, about as we go, make disciples. Last Sunday, we heard from Justin Webb and uh, the influence of a teacher who's actually a secretary at his church and uh, just started recently going to church at this point in his life. And she worked with uh, three or four 10 to 12-year-old uh, kids and helped them to understand what it means to know Christ and to follow Christ. And we preached from, or I preached from Acts 18, verse 23 through 28 about Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila and how it takes different people with different skill sets and talents in in order to to reach others. This morning, we're going to hear from Elizabeth. We're excited about that. Elizabeth, you go ahead and and come on up. And uh, the influence of a minister, the influence of a pastor, many of you checked that on your surveys. That was the second highest influence for many of you. Some of you checked multiple influences, but that was high on the list, uh, the influence of a minister. And in just a little bit after that, we'll be looking at Ephesians 2. So if uh, many Sundays I stand before you and I say, are you ready for some good news? Well, this morning we're going to talk about the good news. What is it that a pastor shares, a minister shares with someone, whether it's in the office or the front pew or down front during an invitation? What is the good news? And so this morning we're going to talk about that. But Elizabeth, I'm grateful for your willingness to share. I know it's not always easy. And I'm grateful that we had the opportunity to get to know each other in Guatemala. And here stands before you someone who uh, is faithful both with their words and their deeds in sharing their faith. And so Elizabeth, you come and share with us this morning. Good morning. Um, Before I get started, I think I've got 10 minutes, so, but before I get into my 10 minutes, I just wanna, first of all, say it's grateful, I am grateful to be back among you. Um, Been out for a little while for various reasons and I just wanna take this opportunity to thank all of you for your prayers and your presence and your expressions of love during the time of uh, losing my father. Uh, I can't express to you how much um, I appreciate uh, my church family uh, because I know many of you have been praying and continue to pray uh, for me uh, through this time. So thank you very much. Uh, before, uh, Before I get to the actual I say the pastor influence, Uh, I have to go back a little bit and not really start from the very beginning, but uh, kind of a time in my life before I made a profession of faith. I will go ahead and warn you, this was not a mountaintop experience. I know those exist, Uh, but for me, if I had to title this experience, it would be a progression to profession. 
Uh, it took me a little while. Okay. Uh, of course, I had Christian influence all my life. Um, you can, of course, my mom. Hey, mom. And uh, my grandparents, some of you know Troy and Lillian Bridges. Uh, of course, they've gone on to be with the Lord, but uh, their influence, my paternal grandmother, um, Myra Pack, uh, always growing up and visiting them, it always included going to church. And I even went to church regularly uh, as a young person. Uh, but, you know, things in life uh, have ha you know, happened to us, um, and church became less and less uh, a feature of my life. My mother, being a single mother, a sole breadwinner of the family, uh, her life changed significantly with her work. Uh, so she was gone a lot just because she had to be. And so I was 12, 13 years old and on through kind of left to myself to uh, make decisions about my friends, the activities that I would engage in, uh, some boyfriends that I won't get into today. <laughs> so, and I would say I didn't always make the best decisions. Uh, that's not to say life was bad. Uh, and as far as I knew, life was very normal. Things uh, were going as that I would expect them to go. And it wasn't until I was about 19 or 20, I'm working in a, one of these big box department stores, it's no longer in business, uh, in Winston-Salem. And uh, an older woman uh, came up and asked me about uh, finding some batteries. Uh, a little aside here, I recommend that all people should be required to work retail at least during Christmas, okay? It's, okay, just really, uh, trust me, I'm just saying, everyone should have to have that experience. So I'm helping the customer and helping her find the batteries and, excuse me, uh, she made her selection. And so I turned to go do something else and she just laid her hand on my arm. And so of course that compelled me to turn back around and she, I can't describe how her face changed. I mean, of course it was the same person, but something in her face was different and she says, and she leans into me and she says, there's something very important you need to know. And so I'm, you know, she says, no matter what you have done, no matter where you go, no matter the decisions you make, God loves you. Well, okay, yeah, like, <laughs> uh, I, even had, I had to go take a break, okay? I had to go take a break and sit down and think about this. Um, that was the first step. That was what I call the catalyst, the, the beginning, that beginning thing that got me thinking and progressed toward this final provision. Now, I have to admit, this is year, years later, okay? I didn't go rush to the church uh, the next Sunday and profess faith, but that was the beginning. I started asking questions. Uh, the, the sermons I listened to when I would come here and visit, you know, they sounded a little different. Uh, I was hearing it differently. Or it just, things, were, things were happening. They would say the Lord was working on me. And then I did move here. Uh, when I was around 22, I came here to go to school at Gardner-Webb. And I lived with my grandparents for a time. And so, of course, I became a regular uh, visitor of Boiling Springs Baptist Church. And the pastor at the time was Buddy Corbin. Some of you remember him as pastor of this church. 
And I finally just went up to him one day and I said, you know, I'd like to come by one day and just talk to you. And so, of course, he was very open to that. And I came and talked to him and I had all these questions and, uh, and he, you know, did uh, his best to try to answer those questions. But it really, I didn't realize at the time, uh, I do now, that he simply did what I'm doing right here. He shared his testimony with me. He talked about what his life was before Christ. He then talked about uh, how he met Jesus and then what his life has been since and what the significance of that uh, for him was. And that's when it happened. You know, I, I, in a sense, I know I made that decision at that moment. The following Sunday, I came right down here and I professed publicly my faith in Jesus Christ. Scared to death, obviously, to come down in front of the church <laughs> uh, to do that. But my grandparents joined me. Buddy Corbin baptized me right up there. And in terms of that influence, uh, he's really the one, again, the woman at, the, 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 at work was so important, right? That was so important. She doesn't even realize uh, how important she was. But she shared that message with me that I needed to hear to move me towards this profession of faith. And Buddy Corbin was so important at that time to help me understand what it was I was getting into. And he did that by simply sharing his testimony. And that's what it's really all about. Um, since uh, I have come into faith, um, I know I'm called to share my story, and I'll say I'm as probably guilty as anyone. Um, probably don't do it as well or as often uh, as I should. I don't always take those opportunities. Uh, but I know that that's something that's part of my life. Since um, my profession of faith, there have been continuing influences. All of you, <laughs> uh, Sunday school class teachers, uh, and my mom, of course, has been the constant. And other pastors. I, I do want to show this. Uh, soon after um, I was baptized, uh, unfortunately, well, fortunately, unfortunately, Betty Corbin did uh, leave and go to another church. And the pastor that came was Carol Page. And he did a discipleship training. Imagine that. And, uh, and it really wasn't necessarily for new Christians, but I was new. And so I wanted to understand this idea of what I was called to do, because this was what I understood. This was one of the things I'm supposed to do, uh, as I'm supposed to witness and tell the good news as a Christian. So I wanted to understand it better. And so I took this class called Witnessing Through Relationships. And I still have the book. It's 25 plus years old. It's, you know, it's, it's been through it, but I've kept it. Uh, and kept it as a reference. And so we have to, and I still learn, I mean, I'm 49 now, and still learning how to do this. But this was a wonderful experience to learn. And by the way, my testimony partner was Thurlin Osborne. Okay? It's a little intimidating, I'm just saying. Uh, but it was wonderful uh, to hear his testimony and then me to be able to share mine with him. Wonderful experience. 
I'd like to uh, close by reading a poem to you. It's from a, a book called The Day I, yes, The Day I Met Jesus. And it's um, about five women in the Bible and when and how they met Jesus. And we know about um, the Samaritan woman at the well who met Jesus. And at the end of the chapter that talks about that, they have a poem to summarize the chapter. But I really feel like it summarizes my experience of meeting Jesus and uh, what, it, what that meant, what it meant to her. Uh, I can relate to how it meant to me and what it compelled her to do uh, once she met Jesus. I am a woman of no distinction, of little importance. I am a woman of no reputation, save that which is bad. You whisper as I pass and cast judgmental glances, though you don't really take time to look at me or even get to know me. For to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And otherwise, what's the point doing either one of them in this first place? I want to be known. I want someone to look at my face and not just see two eyes, a nose, a mouth, two ears, but to see all that I am and could be. All my hopes, loves, fears, that's too much to hope for, to wish for, or pray for, so I didn't. Not anymore. Now I keep, my, keep to myself, and by that I mean the pain that keeps me in my own private jail, the pain that's brought me here at Midway to do this well. To ask for a drink is no big request, but to ask it of me, a woman, uncleaned, ashamed, used and abused, an outcast, a failure, a disappointment, a sinner. No drink passing from these hands to your lips could ever be refreshing, only condemning, as I am sure you condemn me now, but you don't. You're a man of no distinction, though of the utmost importance, a man with little reputation at least so far. You whisper and tell me to my face what all those glances have been about, and you take the time to really look at me. But you don't need to get to know me, for to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And you know me. You actually know me. All of me and everything about me. Every thought inside and hair on top of my head. Every hurt stored up. Every hope. Every dread. My past and my future. All I am and could be. You tell me everything. You tell me about me. And that which is spoken by another would bring hate and condemnation. Coming from you brings love, grace, mercy, and salvation. I've heard of one to come that would save a wretch like me. And here in my presence you say, I am he. To be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And I just met you, but I love you. I don't know you, but I want to. Let me run back to town. This, this is way too much for just me. There are others, brothers, sisters, lovers, haters, the good and the bad, sinners and saints, who should hear what you've told me. You should see what you've showed me, who should taste what you gave me, who should feel how you forgave me. For to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. 
and they all need this too. We all do need it for our own. Thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth. I love the, appreciate your testimony and love that last poem I wrote down to be fully known and loved by you. Um, God knows everything about you, everything about me, and he loves us with all that he is. Also, I thought of the hymn, Elizabeth, Blessed Assurance, and in that hymn, many of you know the chorus, it says, this is my story and this is my song. And Elizabeth, thank you for sharing your story this morning with us. I know it's not easy to get up here and, and do what you did, but thank you. Um, we each, if we have uh, faith in Jesus Christ, have a story to tell. This morning, the scripture for our sermon is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I would encourage you to turn there in your own Bible. It will be on the screen, but it's, it's important to have, it, to have your Bible there, and you can make marks or make notes in it yourself. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. I'll begin reading. You were dead through trespasses, through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world and following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. And two great words in scripture, but God, who is rich in mercy, of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. It's not the results of works so that no one may boast. For we are, for we are what, has, what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. May God add his blessing to the reading and preaching of his word this morning. This morning in your bulletin, I referenced this earlier, but you have on one side of the insert, September survey results how people reported coming to faith in Jesus. And like I said, many of you uh, checked more than one thing, but the second highest on the list under parents and the influence of family was a pastor that talked and prayed with me. And so if one's thinking about the circle of influence being a pastor and thinking about the sermon this morning, I had a few options of where to go, how to go this morning. What does a pastor preach about how uh, other pastors should be people who share their faith. Well, if this was a minister's conference, option one would be that I could challenge the ministers to be sure to share their faith as they interact with congregation, as they interact with community. Because after all, the survey at Boiling Springs Baptist Church said that uh, the majority of our people, the second highest, came to faith for the, through the influence of a pastor. But this is not a pastor's conference this morning. Another option, and what gets a little closer to where I'm going, it's the fact that we're all ministers. Second Corinthians uh, chapter five, verses 17 through 20. I won't read them all, but part of in, in those verses, uh, Paul reminds us, he says, he, Jesus has given us the ministry of reconciliation and now we are ambassadors for Christ. 
And this would be a good option for my direction this morning with the sermon that we are all, God has called all of us to be ministers, but that is not the main direction. But where I am landing this morning is when ministers share about Jesus, what are they sharing? When I ask you, are you ready for good news? And when we talk about Christians and when we talk about the gospel, when we talk about good news, what is that? What do we share when we share the good news of the gospel? The the word gospel means good news and it appears 54 times in the New Testament. We refer to the first four books of the New Testament as what? The four gospels containing the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul, in his uh, address to the Romans in Romans 1, begins right off the bat in the fact that he is writing and is preaching in reference to the good news that is found in Jesus Christ. We're familiar with the term, uh, especially when we think about the birth story, not only of Jesus, but also of John the Baptist. When the angel visited Zacharias, he said, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And later in Luke chapter two, in the Christmas story, you'll be hearing this in a few coming, we- in coming weeks. Christmas is just a short time away. The angel says to Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. A few chapters later in Luke 4, 18, he anointed, Jesus says, he anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. And Jesus is of course quoting Isaiah. And he later said, um, he later said today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. It's rare as a pastor that I pick on a, a TV personality or a TV pastor. And I say pick on him. Um, he has some good things to say, but, but this morning, some of you maybe listened to Joel Osteen or maybe you've read a book by his, I don't know. And like I said, I don't ascribe to everything that Joel Osteen would preach and teach. But at the same time, there's something that he does at the beginning of his sermons. If you've ever heard it, even once, you know it, you, you've seen it. Everybody, you know, thousands of people in this Houston Astrodome or whatever it is are, are standing up and they're holding up their Bibles and they're saying this statement. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am, I have what it says I have, I can do what it says I can do. Today I'll be taught the word of God. I boldly confess my mind is alert and my heart is receptive. I'll never be the same in Jesus' name, amen. That's a great statement. There's nothing that I disagree with about that statement. He gets everyone excited to hear from scripture, but then he sets it down and he preaches a message that doesn't have a lot to do, or sin is not mentioned, but it has more to do with self-esteem. The first thing we're looking at and the first things mentioned in Ephesians 2 will most likely not be communicated often from uh, the church of this mega pastor, or excuse me, this mega church's pastor's pulpit. And and, And that is this, that our foundational problem as human beings is sin. We must know this and understand this because to make the good news good, why is the good news good? And Ephesians chapter 2 Uh, Paul begins to lead us in that direction. But before he gets us there in Ephesians 1, he focuses our attentions on the purpose and the power of God. That's how Ephesians chapter 1 ends. And we go from the heights of power and authority of the risen Christ to the very depths in the beginning of chapter 2 of Ephesians. The first three verses, Paul reminds us of the powerlessness, the hopelessness, the lifeless condition of imperfect human beings. 
He reminds us that we are dead in sin. That verse is very clear. That word is very clear in Ephesians 2 verse 1. Before the good news can become good news, we need to know the bad news. We need to know that our sin separates us from God. That's the bad news. I love how the late Eugene Peterson, and I say late because Eugene Peterson, who gave us the message and who gave uh, ministers, pastors, some really good books to read, passed away early this week. But I love how he uh, chooses to use the first few words, verses of Ephesians chapter two. And in it, he says this, it wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world which doesn't know the first thing about living tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. In our earlier translation that we just read, again, the word um, dead, Paul sums up the condition of those apart from Christ with the one word that he uses, dead. To be dead is to be lifeless. To be dead is to be unable to help oneself. To be dead is to be absolutely powerless. And to be dead is to be beyond hope. The scriptures teach us that we were born sinners and that we each go our own, naturally go our own way. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Paul in the first words of Romans 6, 23 emphasizes this sin and how it's linked to death, which is Paul's talking about here at the beginning of Ephesians 2. He says in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. That's not good news, church. But what is interesting in this passage is that as Paul chooses to unite in his, as the people he's speaking to, both the Jews and the Gentiles, in verses one and two, if you notice in the scriptures, He uses the word you, and he's speaking to, um, uh, he uses the pronoun you. But in verse three, Paul changes to we. And the you refers to the Gentiles. And the Jews were okay with that. But when he starts using the pronoun we to the Jews, it changes some things. It's one thing for Paul to have said these things about the Gentiles and no Jew would disagree with him. But for Paul to have said this and included the Jews in this, they had a little bit of a problem with this. Galatians 2.15 reminds us, we learn of the self-righteous claims of the Jews when it says we are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. The Jews thought that they were born special and they had a problem with being lumped in there with the sinners, with the Gentiles. And so they they didn't like Paul's words here at the beginning of Ephesians 2. The turning point of the story, though, here in Ephesians 2 comes here in verse 4 with one of the biggest conjunctions, or to be very frank, the biggest buts in all of Scripture. The first two words of Ephesians 2.4 say, but God. And then it goes on to say, Paul says, but God, who is rich in his mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, and I've added in there, even when we had absolutely nothing to offer. Christ made us alive with him. By grace you have been saved and raised raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We go from being dead in verse one to being made alive in verse five that I just read. God has come to the rescue of fallen humanity and he has come with Jesus. And church, that is good news. 
In Romans 5, verses 6 through 8, we learned that while we were dead, while we were helpless, uh, Christ came to us. Romans 6, uh, excuse me, Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Church, that is the good news. God's mercy, God's compassion, prompted by our potential or by any qualities we think that we possess, divine grace was not bestowed on us because we were so worthy or because God found anything good in us, but because of the goodness which is in God himself. It's not, again, the goodness within us, but the goodness that is found within God himself. Verse eight is a verse uh, that many of you know. Uh, It's a verse that I love. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God and not a result of works. It's nothing we've done to earn it. It's nothing we've done to deserve it, but it is a free gift given to us by God. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this verse as well. It's one of my favorite um, verses of his. It says, it's God's gift from start to finish, talking about grace. We don't play the major role. And if we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. This grace is truly a gift. Again, nothing to earn it, nothing to deserve it. I need to finish the second half of a verse that I shared earlier, Romans 6.23. It says, the wages of sin is death. But the good news comes in the second half of that verse. But the gift of God, the free gift, the free grace of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. To summarize Ephesians chapter 2, it teaches us that we've moved from death to life through Jesus Christ that we've been saved by grace. And last, verse 10 of Ephesians chapter two reminds us, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. He hasn't saved us, redeemed us, and called us to live with him in relationship for us just to coast through life and to go about our business. But when God calls us, when he calls us and and pulls us into relationship with him, he wants us to go out. Go out not with a sense of uh, just being saved, but go out with this sense of purpose and go out with this stronger sense of meaning that we have in life now because of the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. I love to hear stories. I love to have heard these testimonies and we're going to hear two next week uh, with our deacon ordination of uh, Jay Washburn and uh, Kenny Collins as they briefly share their testimonies as well of what, God's, what God does in people's lives and how he's at work and how he's calling you and me and all of his children to live and to walk in relationship with him. He calls us to good, wor- to good works. The good news is not only that God made a way for us to live through him, but he fills our lives with a sense of purpose. How many people do you know today that are looking for that sense of purpose? Dr. Cullinan referenced it her first Sunday when she shared her testimony. Others of you have talked about it as well when you've shared your testimony with me or I've heard you share it. Just longing for this, there's gotta be something more. How often do you hear that from people? There's There's gotta be something more. 
In closing, I want to share just a, a quick story of a minister who recalls a survey done some years ago. And he, he asked in the survey, what are the, the, the words, the phrases that people most want to hear? Um, he predicted the first choice, which is I love you. Don't we all want to hear that? I love you. Number two on the list of words people most wanted to hear was I forgive you. And number three was, supper's ready. Um, it dawned on the minister that these three statements provide a great summary of the gospel story. Let me explain. We are loved by God. We are forgiven by God. And we are all invited to the banquet table. We are all invited to sit down with Jesus at the banquet table. Of course, it's referring to, to heaven. In the midst of a planet and a nation marked by brokenness, by violence, and by shattered relationships, the gospel church is good news. God has called us into relationship with himself. Sinful man and holy God are united once again. And we're united through the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To quote Eugene Peterson once more, John 3, 17, after the famous John 3, 16, in John 3, 17, he says, God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. And church, this is good news for all who will hear it and for all who will receive it. The purpose that a relationship with Christ can bring into your life, it can not only change your eternity, but it can also fill your days here with meaning and with purpose that nothing else can. Many of you here have put your faith and trust in Christ. Many of you here today, maybe you've done that, but maybe you're longing and looking for that sense of purpose and that sense of meaning. What I found to be the case in my own life is I draw closer to him, that sense of purpose and that sense of meaning draws ever closer and is ever more apparent to me about the things that I should be doing and the things that I should, how I should be spending my time, how I should be using my resources and the things that I should be about, the way that I treat other people that I'm close to, the way I interact uh, with not only uh, those close individuals, but the way I interact with a larger community. Uh, it, um, it's all affected by the relationship that I have with Jesus Christ. We all come in here today from different walks of life, from different backgrounds, um, not only different faith backgrounds for some, but uh, different backgrounds uh, geographically for others. But yet the good news of the gospel is a message that desperately needs to be heard in the community of Boiling Springs when we think everybody's heard it. Maybe it needs to be heard in a tangible way for some others, for some of you. Maybe it's come in the form of a friend who's come alongside of you when you were going through a relationship disaster. And they come and, and, and in many ways, uh, maybe they didn't break it down just like I did today, but in many ways they were sharing with you the good news of Jesus and how he can help you in the midst of your situation right now. For others, it's come in the midst of uncertainty about career and occupation. There have been others that have come alongside of you and shared the gospel. Maybe you wouldn't have called it that, but yet that's what they were doing. God loves you. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. His grace is sufficient for your every need. It's nothing that we can do to deserve it, to earn it, but it's freely given. And he calls us today, pleads with us to respond to him 
and to enter and to begin that relationship if we've never done that, to strengthen that relationship if we have. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. You've heard testimonies over the last several weeks about people who have shared their story about coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And I ask you this morning, first of all, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? And if you have, what does that look like now? You've heard the story of some who have uh, been called into ministry. You've heard, uh, heard that mentioned. You've had some who uh, in our church now are, are, are thinking about that for their life. And so I ask you this morning, if you know Christ, what, how, how, are things, how are things now between the two of you? I know when I was um, uh, in, in retail many, many years ago, we did something called inventory. And um, at times like this, we, we take inventory of our lives, times of invitation. And uh, where is, how, how are things with, with God and I? What's there, what's not there that uh, I may need to seek the Lord about this morning? We're gonna stand and sing a hymn of invitation in just a moment. Let me lead us in a prayer. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the gospel story. Paul told it in Ephesians 2. Paul tells it in Romans. Jesus speaks of it and not only tells us, but shows us the good news that he has brought to the world throughout the four gospels. Father, we're thankful for the good news of Jesus Christ. We're thankful that you take us as we are, as fallen, imperfect human beings, you redeem us, you call us to yourself so that we can live in relationship with you not only on this earth, but throughout all of eternity. Lord, speak to our hearts as we sing this morning. Stir us and move us into closer fellowship with you. Lord, if there are any here today that need to make a decision to follow you, I pray they would have the courage and the boldness to come down and to talk with me and we can pray together. And Lord, I pray for those here today. If there are others that desire membership at Boiling Springs Baptist Church, may they feel the courage to come and to make that known. We love you, Lord. Forgive us for our sins. Thank you for your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing a great hymn. Um, I think it has four or five verses. We're going to sing each one and listen to the words. And then more importantly, listen to the Spirit as it's speaking to you as we sing these words. Will you come and follow me?
to remind you, we are meeting at 5 o'clock in the fellowship hall to continue some discussion about the service this morning, uh, but also specifically about the good news. There's something with that that uh, I want to engage some con good conversation about tonight, and we welcome you back for that time. There is a sign-up sheet here for uh, if you're interested in being a part of future ramp ministry here at Bowling Springs Baptist. Uh, I'm going to leave that here on the communion table. And be mindful that Wednesday night uh, is our special uh, fall festival, Shine Your Light for Jesus, 5.30 to 7. Uh, there'll be a several meal options available and uh, many activities for our kids, so be mindful of that. Let us close now with our uh, choral benediction. Mm -hmm.